Hello, I'm Phil Farrow, Chief Meteorologist at WSBN-TV in South Florida, and this is Weather or Not. It's been months since NASA launched the Webb Space Telescope. We are now seeing the universe as never before, and its colors are telling us new things. And all these different colors are signatures of chemical, um, are signatures of chemical elements or of energetic process. They are telling us the story of all the elements, of all the structures that are in the universe. Interpreting those colors is key to what space holds. Meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez has the story. The Keys have plenty of sunshine and mild weather, and it's home to many boaters, snorkelers, and divers alike. But forecasting the weather is no day at the beach. Um, it's, this is a very uh, complex area in terms of marine weather. Uh, we have the deep Florida Straits. Uh, we have the reef, uh, you know, about uh, you know, four to six miles offshore, shallow waters in between as well as channels between the islands, which are prone to uh, tidal currents. Meteorologist Frank Cameron is keeping up with the Keys. That's coming up next on Weather or Not. Severe weather can strike any time. And when it does, Seven's got you covered. 24-7. We'll see storms developing. We have a long line of rainfall here. We are the storm station. Seven News. The Webb Space Telescope launched on Christmas Day and began sending back pictures in July. It promises to look further back in time than ever before, and colors will be key in figuring out what it all means. Meteorologist Vivian Gonzalez speaks with expert Elena Savi. We've already been able to take a look at the first color images from the James Webb Space Telescope. Can you tell us what we're seeing here with these images? Absolutely. So uh, we decided to give uh, people a sneak peek of all the science that Webb will enable. And to do that, we looked at very distant galaxies in a deep field, and immediately we broke a record because this is already the deepest uh, images we got for, for space. And then we wanted to move much closer to us in our own galaxies. We wanted to spy at stars that are forming, that are emerging right now from the dusty cocoons. These are beautiful stellar nurseries. And we want to see how challenging is the life of baby stars when they are bombarded by the radiation of massive stars that are nearby. And then we want to look at how stars die. And so we have this beautiful nebula where we see a white dwarf that is spreading out all the outer layers as it contracts and uh, accelerates toward uh, its death. And finally, we really wanted to test web capabilities of in studying the stellar atmosphere of distant planets. And so we look at the planet as it was transiting in front of its uh, uh, companion stars, and it was absorbing a little bit of this light. And this gave us the signature of the chemicals elements that are in the atmosphere of the planet and immediately we saw water and we were so amazed. Oh my gosh, incredible images. Now Webb is an infrared telescope. What is this and how does it differ from telescopes like Hubble? Yes, so light comes in very different colors. With our eyes, we are used to see the purple, the blue, the green, the yellow, red, but there is much more colors that we cannot detect with our eyes. And all these different colors are signatures of chemical, um, are signatures of chemical elements or 
of energetic process. They are telling us the story of all the elements, of all the structures that are in the universe, how they evolve. And it is very important for us to see the universe through all the colors that it sends to us. Infrared is a very special color because it can see through dust, it can see very distant galaxies, but it is not visible from Earth. It's absorbed by the Earth atmosphere and it can it is not visible by Hubble as well. So Webb is different because it allows us to see a completely new universe, a completely a universe that so far was completely hidden to our eyes. And it's my understanding that the James Webb and Hubble telescope in some way will be working together, correct? Yes, that is the dreams coming true. We really, really hoped to see Hubble and Webb working together because really we can have the full color of the universe. We can see so much information, the very hot stars, the super small stars all working together and all the different chemical elements that are growing in the universe from a universe that was only hydrogen and helium to what we see today on Earth. And we can do that just having Webb and uh, Hubble together. Wow. And we know that the James Webb telescope is the most powerful telescope telescope in orbit. Can you tell us what you might expect it to find in future observations? Yeah, so we want to push it farther, still farther than what we've done. We want to see the first galaxies, the first supernovas. These are going to tell us really how we move from the Big Bang to what we see today. We want to see our galaxy grows, evolve, and also we want to finally remove all that dust that was blocking our uh, vision and see stars that are growing, that are forming. And uh, then we want to study all the exoplanets that are near enough to study their atmosphere because we want to understand how water arrived on Earth. And we can do that by studying nearby stars and see how that happened for those planets. Now, the resolution of the images are extraordinary just incredible. So what happens next? I know that this is the very beginning of the mission and we know that it's fueled to run for 20 years, operational for at least 10 years. What are you looking forward to the most learning about from Webb? Well, we are all wondering what we will discover that we don't know. Have worked for 30 years as a spoiled us, right? Every time we think that we understand the universe, we find something new that wasn't totally unexpected. And we are sure that Webb will do the same for us. So what we are excited about, it's really what is there that we don't know. And we build a telescope to find out. (laughs) (laughs) And this is just out of curiosity. Um, we, We know that this is an exciting time and there's a lot to look at. How how, how do you know where to point the James Webb Telescope? So every year there is a very competitive uh, um, uh, selection where astronomers from all the world are asking to uh, get some types of web and to, they present a science case. They say what they want to do and how they're going to study out. What are the answers they want to get from the telescope? How are they get, going to get this answer? And then there is a committee of, uh, again, international, uh, an international committee, astronomers from all the world that are selecting the case that they think are most compelling and they're guaranteeing the best usage of this telescope. Now, where can our viewers go to learn more about this incredible space observatory? 
They can go on the NASA website, nasa.gov slash web, and they will have all the information that's about the mission, about the images, and what's uh, coming next. They can even find the list of the targets that web is going to observe uh, in the next year. This is just amazing that now we're capable of seeing the universe as it was 13.5 plus billion years ago, shortly after it formed. And it, the images have been breathtaking and it is certainly inspiring. So thank you so much for what you do. We're certainly looking forward to the new images to come and new information as well. There will be more coming very soon. So stay tuned and they are amazing. Thanks, Vivian. Whether or not, we'll be right back with the challenge of forecasting in paradise. The best app from the best weather team is right here. Seven's Hurricane Tracker app. Get the latest forecast models. My Seven weather blog. And of course, Seven's cone on your phone. It's yours free from the storm station, Seven News. Many of us live in the Keys or enjoy its natural beauty. But forecasting for the most southern portion of Florida is a challenge. Meteorologist Brent Cameron with the story. Hello everyone, meteorologist Brent Cameron here. Today we are keeping up with the keys. Joining me, John Rizzo, warning coordination meteorologist with the National Weather Service office in Key West. John, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Now I've often heard people say, being in the keys is like being in paradise, but we all know that's not always the case and you get your share of bad weather too, isn't that right? Uh, that's correct. Uh, anything from a summertime thunderstorm, a, a cold front in the winter uh, can cause winds to increase as well as showers and thunderstorms. So uh, we try to communicate and educate on everything from lightning safety to safety out over the water. Now, being surrounded by water, John, are there forecasting challenges that you find on a, uh, on a regular basis based on your location and your latitude? Uh, yes, that's correct. Uh, it, it's not as simple as, as a beach on the east coast or, or west coast of Florida. Um, it's, this is a very uh, complex area in terms of marine weather. Uh, we have the deep Florida Straits. Uh, we have the reef, uh, you know, about uh, you know, four to six miles offshore, shallow waters in between, as well as channels between the islands, which are prone to uh, tidal currents. Uh, so everything from having a, you know, a small craft advisory or winds of uh, 20 knots can cause uh, some hazardous seas out there. And of course, the showers and thunderstorms that uh, can pop up near the islands and, and provide some hazards as well. And of course, you have a unique situation in the Keys as there's, it's often said, one way in and one way out, referring to the overseas highway. Uh, how much of a problem can that cause, especially when it comes to evacuations? Uh, correct. And of course, we're, we're talking about tropical storms and hurricanes that approach the Keys. And, you know, we do have a hurricane approach, uh, especially a, a stronger or major hurricane, uh, then there will be evacuations. Uh, having that one highway in and out, uh, it takes longer uh, to drive out by car. And, and as we know, uh, traffic can be heavy, uh, especially on the weekends as folks go in and out of the Keys. 
And uh, so therefore, we have to sometimes uh, work with our partners a lot sooner to communicate, uh, even when certainty isn't all that high. But I do want to say that the actual industry of uh, tourism here in the Keys is a great partner. We work with the Tourism Development Council of Monroe County uh, very closely uh, to get the word out to the various uh, lodging managers as, as well as the campgrounds. And, uh, you know, even the airlines and uh, the passenger ferry to, to Fort Myers that heads out of Key West, um, they can play a, a good role in helping to get folks uh, off the islands you know, prior to a hurricane event. Uh, especially those that may have traveled down not by car. So we work with them very closely too and make sure that we're specifying whether not just for on the ground or on the water, but also for aviation purposes as well. So those partnerships are definitely important in uh, keeping your residents safe, right? Uh, that's correct. We Obviously, we work very closely with our emergency management, not just with Monroe County, uh, but also our municipalities like Key West or the village of Almorada. We work with them. They uh, take care of safety messages uh, for the folks that are staying or living in their cities. Uh, but also uh, an important partner is the U.S. Coast Guard. We have the sector Key West here. And of course, they're uh, for safety of movement on the water and the port of Key West itself. Uh, so a lot of times information needs to come very early, often many days early uh, when you have a significant threat such as severe uh, storms or hurricanes. John, I want to ask you this. The uh, folks in the Keys kind of have a reputation for, shall we say, having a carefree attitude uh, just about things in general. But how does that maybe play into the picture when it comes to weather warnings? Do they take it seriously? It, definitely when it comes to weather warnings, it's all about perception. And, and yes, it's true. Um, you know, hurricanes and tropical storms are, are part of the uh, family story for a lot of long-term residents, multi-generational uh, families that have grown up here in the Florida Keys. And so sometimes uh, it's hard to communicate uh, perhaps what tropical storm or even category one hurricane conditions are uh, because uh, they may base it on their memories of previous storms or storms they've heard about in their family line. As, as uh, in my career, um, I have never seen uh, two tropical storms or hurricanes that have been exactly alike in, in how they move, uh, what angle they approach the keys, their size and structure. They're all very unique. So uh, we, we sometimes ha have to work extra hard to communicate what the threats are for events that are not necessarily extreme. Um, but I also say that we also have a lot of turnover in the Keys. You have folks that may have only been living here for from weeks to perhaps just a couple of years and may have grown up in areas that haven't had to directly deal with tropical storms and hurricanes. So that uh, battle, of, so to speak, of outreach uh, occurs outside the season. And that's the best time to help educate in our public festivals and, and fairs that are out there. We always like to get a booth out there and, and be able to answer questions, especially when people uh, first move into the Keys. So is there a threshold when we're talking about hurricanes and such for evacuating and getting folks out of the uh, island chain? Uh, that's correct. Uh, Monroe County Emergency Management uh, tries to look at various aspects. Uh, uh, obviously, with, with sometimes stronger tropical storms and, and hurricanes, a lot of the focus is on folks that live in vulnerable areas. And I mean those that may be in true mobile homes, not necessarily manufactured housing, but true mobile homes. Uh, there, we also have a sizable population that lives on the water uh, with the live aboard boats. And so uh, they need extra time as well to get the message. Sometimes you have to use various means uh, you know, to, to communicate with them. 
and uh, those would would need sh to shelter, uh, particularly in the county. Now, once you, uh, there is the possibility of a major hurricane, one of category three strength or stronger, uh, not necessarily the forecast of a cat three, but the possibility that one may intensify, uh, you know, as there is error in forecasting uh, intensity in storms, uh, then you have to start looking at the resident population. Because as we know, it's not necessarily the storm itself. We, we are building better houses and better uh, commercial structures here in the Keys as time goes on. But as we know, the hardest part is the recovery, the initial week or two following uh, a devastating hurricane. And so therefore, there are folks that may want to leave because being without power and water or with a with a leaky roof, you know, can be uh, untenable, you know, if right. that occurs. John, can you sort of touch on the idea, though, of a storm surge threat and how that could impact the Florida Keys? I guess of all tropical cyclone threats, a lot of folks are focused on the wind, but it really is the storm surge that is our primary concern. Um, as we know, water is heavy and moving water is what occurs in the storm surge and can sweep homes away as well as uh, a lot of the older housing stock that sits uh, on slab or, or grade uh, here in the Keys. You know, that's what we really try to concentrate on when the hurricane comes. It can be very difficult as this is a unique area. Um, storms that pass by to the west often have uh, two surges, both on the Atlantic side and then later as these storms move north, and otherwise the wind and the rain actually subside, sometimes you can get a, a second surge on the, uh, on the bay and the Gulf side. And I know a lot of folks are getting out and they're starting to assess damage. And sometimes we have to communicate uh, that if that surge comes in, uh, then it will be impossible to do that. Plus it also provides another threat to life and property. John, did you experience any surge uh, as a result of Hurricane Ian not that long ago? Uh, yes, we did. It, and in fact, uh, we did receive two surges. Uh, one was on the Atlantic side. Uh, for most of the Keys, uh, perhaps two to three feet uh, you know, above ground level, although in parts of Key West, particularly its southwest side, uh, we do have areas where water was over four feet in depth, and it did enter in uh, quite a few, uh, many dozens of homes, actually, uh, part of that older uh, housing stock that is on uh, grade level. And so there were a lot of folks that lost uh, quite a few possessions in there. And then as Ian, uh, after made landfall on the, in the west coast of Florida, uh, there was a second surge. Um, it wasn't as high uh, down toward Key West, but for other folks further up the Keys, it, it was actually higher up on the bay. And so uh, folks saw a lot of flooded streets as well, that, and it was impossible to move around in some of those bayside neighborhoods. So not only is the hurricane season a very long one in South Florida, but so is the rainy season. Of course, it just ended. How did you come out in the Keys? Was it anything out of the ordinary? I mean, it was a, a wet start. Uh, so in months like June, uh, we received a rainfall that was above normal. Um, the interesting thing about the islands is that eventually the water does find its way to the uh, ocean. So um, having a, above normal rainfall for the month in itself isn't an impact. What is an impact is when you get three or four inches in a single setting over a couple of hours. And we have areas, including the Old Town part of Key West, which are very prone to street flooding. So if you get about two inches in an hour, uh, the street flooding is quite significant. It could jump the curb there. And so when rainy season is particularly wet, we, we have more episodes of that kind of uh, impact. And of course, another threat involving water would be all too frequent king tides and saltwater flooding that you deal with there. Uh, can you give us a little bit of uh, an insight into how big of a problem that is? 
Yes, exactly. Uh, just as you're familiar with across, uh, especially Southeast Florida, we have the same season, so to speak, as we get into autumn. And, and of course, there's another time where we can have king tide flooding uh, earlier in the year. The main impact of the king tide flooding is, is not just visual where it comes up out of the drains, but if you get a heavy downpour at the same time. And as we're still in the rainy season, uh, we can still get the, a heavy downpour. And if it happens at high tide, then the, the street flooding can be quite extensive. The good news is, is as the tide runs out, then the flooding will subside. Generally for the Keys, it's basically based on the high tide. However, um, in eastern Florida Bay, we have several neighborhoods on the backside of the Key Largo where they're so low, uh, to close to sea level, that uh, when the bay actually gets into a king tide situation, the water can stay up on the streets for several weeks, actually. And John, some of our listeners want to know the answer to this one. Is it true that you are the water spout capital of the world? Well, definitely the water spout capital of the United States. Uh, we may have to share that uh, that honor with the uh, uh, the Bahamas, actually, as well, because they also have some long uh, islands that are, are very good at producing, uh, you know, cloud lines. And that's what's unique about the Keys. Uh, in the typical summertime, unlike uh, the, the sea breeze uh, fronts that are folks in South Florida might be familiar with as, as the thunderstorms build up over the interior of those uh, coastal counties. Here, uh, the, the focus and the buildup of clouds actually occurs along the island chain itself. And, and so the lower keys, which have some of the larger uh, key land masses, uh, we can get that cloud line that builds up just uh, offshore, either the Gulf side or the Atlantic side. And that's a prime uh, factory for producing water spouts. And so they're, while they're quite photogenic, we do advise folks on the water, uh, you know, don't try to boat through them or anything. Uh, because, uh, you know, when you see spray lifted off the water, you're talking a good 45 knots or greater uh, that it takes to actually do that. So we know that's very hazardous to small vessels. But don't get close and, and to watch them from a safe place. And now that you mentioned the, the boating industry, which is huge, of course, I'm sure that your marine forecast coming out of the Florida Keys, Key West office, your marine forecast must be extra important, are they not? Uh, yes, they are. They're crucial as a, as a planning tool for decision making, uh, not just by the Coast Guard and planning response, but but also uh, with our, you know, the many folks that uh, work out on the water. Uh, there's a lot of industries uh, from commercial fishing to, uh, um, you know, to recreational boating. And so uh, checking that forecast early in the morning is is definitely a, a good idea here. Uh, the forecast is quite complex because we are uh, serving areas that are in the deep uh, blue water, so to speak, uh, off beyond the reef, as well as the folks that are, are just looking to see if it's safe to go kayaking. And we do advise that folks have a way to receive that information, uh, not just from our website at weather.gov slash K-E-Y, but also to, to have a marine VHF radio on board. Very good idea, of course. Uh, that would be uh, something to refer to quite often. John, thank you very much for your time and your insight. All you do to help us uh, stay safe and keep up with the weather. Today, we were talking to John Rizzo, keeping up with the keys. John is the Morning Coordination Meteorologist at the National Weather Service office in Key West. Thanks a lot for joining us, John. Again, it's been a pleasure and thank you for sharing your time. Thanks, Brett. We'll be right back. 
When the tropics heat up, you can stay cool. Because the chief works right here. 7's chief meteorologist, Phil Farrow. He's been doing this for nearly 30 years. As soon as we get information, we bring it to you instantly. Wilma, Katrina, Irma, he guided us safely through them all. That guy never sleeps, but that's so you can sleep easier. And now, a Phil fact. In October 1832, the Sand Key Lighthouse, nine miles south of Key West, began to take rainfall measurements. Unfortunately, the reports were not consistent. For months, they had missing data. Official observations finally began in 1870. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion, please send us an email at wxpodcast at wsvn.com. Our next episode drops October 25th. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is produced by the 7 Weather Team. Original music by Chris Crane, with technical support by Stephen Sayhouse. Thank you for listening to Weather or Not.